Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 102 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and that opening track you just heard came from listener Jason Milonik. So big thanks to Jason for submitting that as we continue with what will be a new intro track each week for the foreseeable future. Got a whole lot of them since last week's episode, so we're going to keep rolling along with that. Some nice heavy metal kind of intro there from Jason. So again, big thanks to him, but I don't want to digress too much here because we have some massive news to discuss on this week's episode. As I reported earlier Thursday afternoon, and I know many have since confirmed and added details to, Patrick Kane is coming to the New York Rangers. The Blackhawks are getting in return a conditional second round pick in the upcoming draft. Now, the condition is if the Rangers were to reach the Eastern Conference final, exactly like the condition that they had last year for the trade that they got Andrew Kopp from the Winnipeg Jets with, if they reached the Eastern Conference final, that second round pick will turn into a first round pick. But the disclaimer here is that it wouldn't be in this round's draft if that happened. It would be in either the 2024 or 2025 draft if it escalates. So if it stays a second round pick, it's in 2023. If it moves up to a first round pick, it's either in 24 or 25. They also send a 2023 fourth round pick to the Chicago Blackhawks. And then to help facilitate the trade to retain that final 25% of Kane's salary, Chicago, of course, kept 50%, but the Rangers needed a third team to take another 25. They drew in the Arizona Coyotes, who they sent a 2025 third round pick to. So in total, the Rangers essentially give up three draft picks to bring Kane to New York. Now, this isn't official at the time of this recording. We're still waiting for that news from the Rangers. They have to wait a certain amount of time. They had to wait until after 5 p.m. on Tuesday to make the deal official for salary cap regions. I'm sure we're going to dissect and discuss all of that on this week's episode. We're also going to hear more from the Chicago side of things from Mario Tarabasi, who covers the Blackhawks for CHGO Sports in Chicago. So that interview is coming up. A whole lot of Kane talk with him, and we'll get a real feel for what kind of player exactly the Rangers are getting and where he's at at this stage in his career and his legacy in Chicago. A lot of different talking points with Mario. So we'll get to all that in a little bit. But for now, I just want to react to this trade and really go through everything, every single layer, every single piece of it with you guys. So, I should start by saying this. I think pretty much every week since the Rangers traded for Vladimir Tarasenko, I've addressed questions about the Kane possibility. I repeatedly told you guys it was a long shot. So I'm going to raise my hand right now at the top of the show and say I was wrong. I want that on record. I know last week we talked about it, and I considered it a real long shot for them to still squeeze him in under the cap after that Tarasenko deal. But with that being said, I think it's really important 
especially in this forum where we can kind of talk it out, for me to give you guys the full background on everything that I've been able to gather in the last week to explain why I thought that that Kane ship had sailed after the Tarasenko deal. I can tell you guys very confidently, you can believe me if you want, you don't have to, doesn't really make much of a difference for me, but I, I, I have this very solid. I can tell you guys confidently, the Rangers never planned on adding both of those guys, Kane and Tarasenko. The goal was always to get one or the other. They made the decision, I believe it was on February 9th, the day that the Tarasenko deal went down, to go the St. Louis route for a variety of reasons that we've gone over. I can quickly recap. Number one, they were also able to net defenseman Nico Mikola in that deal, so they were not only plugging what they felt like was their number one need, but also their number two need all in the same trade. Number two, everything that I've heard, and I got this from the Rangers at the time as well, was that the asking price for Patrick Kane at the time was even higher than what they sent to St. Louis to get both Tarasenko and Mikola. And on top of that, at the time, Patrick Kane's production was way down, and I know that the Rangers were having concerns, as the whole league was. This was a rumor that was really making the rounds earlier in the month that people were concerned about Patrick Kane's hip. How much was it affecting his play? Was there any chance that he was going to have to shut things down? So all of those reasons influenced the Rangers to say, you know what? The Tarasenko deal makes more sense for us. I had this from very solid sources and my own logic and understanding of the roster and understanding of the salary cap, which is why I was so skeptical in the past. And I think if you look at what's happened in this last week, it only further proves that. Just look at these salary cap gymnastics that the Rangers went through in the last handful of days just to make this happen. They could have easily avoided all of that had they budgeted for both Kane and Tarasenko from the beginning. Just look at the pattern. And I know a lot of you who listen to this show follow the team closely and you're aware of the roster movement throughout the course of the season. There were multiple weeks this season where the Rangers unnecessarily carried 23 players. They never needed 23 players. They easily could have gotten away with 22. They could have even on certain days trimmed to 20 or 21 if they were really concerned about adding that cap space. Those moves weren't made willy-nilly. They weren't made for lack of foresight. They weren't made carelessly. They were made because the Rangers had budgeted for a very specific number that they knew they wanted to attain by the trade deadline. And if you look at the pattern of their movement throughout the course of the season, they were clearly comfortable with the pace that they were on and felt that they had the leeway to have stints where they expanded their roster, to not act with overwhelming urgency to trim as much cap space as they possibly could. In hindsight, had they known that this was ultimately going to be the situation that arose, maybe they would have acted differently. In fact, I'm quite sure that they would have acted differently. Chris Drury is incredibly meticulous. All of this stuff is planned down to every single detail. They did not say, hey, we're going to 
do whatever we want throughout the course of the season and we'll carry 23 when we don't really need it just so we can wait until that last week before the trade deadline and then have to do this mad scramble. That was not the plan all along. They had very clearly planned and budgeted to add one scoring right winger with Tarasenko and Kane being the main guys they were looking at. Timo Meyer was a guy they would have loved to go after, but they felt that price tag was going to be way too high. They knew they wanted a left-handed defenseman. And then with whatever they had left over, which they knew would be enough to sort of add around the edges, they want to fill out the bottom of their roster. And that's why you saw them go at and get a guy like Tyler Mott, who even at the time that they made the Mott deal, I'm fairly certain they weren't locked in on Kane at that point. So you're asking, I'm sure, why did those plans change all of a sudden? Why did it become this tightrope act in the last handful of days with more cap math and roster movement than a lot of us could even keep track of? I know I did more math in the last handful of days than I probably have the entire time I've been on this beat. And I feel like we're all learning new things about the CBA and and salary cap rules and and how all this stuff fits and the time that you're allowed to make different moves and which day those moves count on, all this stuff. It's been wild. And I, I feel bad for the fans in some ways because I know you guys have had a million questions and some of this stuff I'm pretty well versed on. Some of this stuff I feel like we're all learning on the fly And I've tried my best to explain it, and sometimes I think it's been effective, but I certainly understand how it can be confusing in certain spots. So I apologize if I've made some head spin in the last week. But ultimately, the Rangers decided that this was worth their while, that throwing the plan that they had had all season out the window at this late stage was worth it for a few reasons. The number one is Patrick Kane. We cannot understate how influential he was in this situation. Let's not forget, he holds a no-movement clause. And because of that, he has the power to tell the Blackhawks, I'm only going to go to this team. And my understanding is at some point in the middle of this week, I think around Wednesday, or last week at this point, I should say, he made it painfully clear to Chicago and their front office that the only place he was going to waive his no movement clause to go to was New York to play for the Rangers. And from there, they made some waves. Trust me, from what I understand, his agent was quite active in letting that be known in certain corners because they wanted that getting out. And that's why you saw Later in the week, Thursday or so, all of a sudden, the Kane rumors were really starting to churn up. So they did their part to try to force the Blackhawks' hand. I don't think that he was willing to say to them, hey, I'll go to these two or three teams, try to get the best deal that you can. No, he wanted Rangers. It was Rangers or bust. And I think A lot of people started taking notice that he felt strongly about the Rangers when he made those comments after the Tarasenko trade when he said, hey, I wasn't the happiest when I got that news, but I think it really hit the fan. It really became painfully obvious to the Chicago Blackhawks that they either had to try to make a deal with the Rangers or they were going to lose him for nothing this summer. 
during that window of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week. At that point, all of the leverage, or most of the leverage at least, shifts to the Rangers and Chris Drury. And at that point is when I believe, my understanding is, he began to reconsider everything. From everything that I've heard, and you can tell now based on the trade return that the Rangers are sending to Chicago, Drury said, listen, I'll reconfigure. I'll change my plans on the fly. I will do what I have to do to make this happen if and only if I'm able to draw a hard line around my preferred assets. Initially, I had heard that the Blackhawks, I mean, I'm talking way back, you know, way before a lot of this stuff that's happened recently, when the idea of trading Patrick Kane was first floated, they were asking teams not only for first-round picks, but they were asking teams, before Kane let it be known that he would only go to the Rangers, for their most valuable young assets. For the Rangers, that meant, hey, are you willing to talk about Alexi Lafreniere? Are you willing to talk about Capo Caco? Are you willing to talk about Philip Heedle? Well, Chris Jury made it very clear, no way we are talking about any of those players. He also made it very clear that the remaining 2023 first-round draft pick that he has, remember the one that he sent to St. Louis for Tarasenko, is the later of their two first-round picks. So he's in a, he wants to keep very badly the earlier pick because this is supposed to be a strong draft class. He said, I'm not parting with that. That's why even with this conditional pick that he ultimately sent, if it does elevate to a first-round pick, it's going to be in a later draft year, not this year. And he didn't want to touch any of his top prospects. I had heard right off the bat, Brennan Othman was completely off the table, but he also protected a lot of other guys. Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Dylan Grand, Brett Berard, Adam Sakura. He gave up none of those guys. In fact, he didn't give up any prospects at all. So... He said, I'm only doing this deal if I can wall off X, Y, and Z. And then the final push that I think really convinced Drury and the Rangers, okay, we want to do this. We want to push our chips into the middle of the table and make this happen is what we saw from Patrick Kane in his last four games with the Blackhawks. He exploded in those four games, 10 points in a four-game span, including seven goals. And he nearly got another on a almost buzzer beater in one of those games. That piqued the interest of a lot of teams around the league and tipped the scales, I believe, to get this deal done. The concerns that the Rangers had about the hip, which, listen, they still exist. They, they had those concerns a few weeks ago, and those concerns have not completely disappeared at this point. But seeing what a motivated Kane is still capable of in those games made them feel a lot better about it, and getting him at a discounted price from what they were being asked about a few weeks ago around the time of the Tarasenko deal, all of that made the idea of trading for him, even with the risk of the hip, much more palatable. Because now they're not giving up the prime assets that Chicago was once asking for, and you also got a glimpse of what a highly motivated Patrick Kane is still capable of. And his play in those last four games with Chicago made a lot of people's eyes get wide and say, wow, maybe this guy still does have something in the tank and maybe he can still help a team that's looking to get over the hump like the Rangers. So 
This all, again, happens in a matter of days. But once Drury realized, okay, I can make this deal without giving up my most valuable assets, the assets that I want to protect, and once he saw Kane really turning things on, then they had to shift their focus to, okay, how the heck do we fit this guy? Because again, they had not budgeted for this over the course of the season. So what we've seen in the last handful of days is one salary cap hurdle after another. Initially, it was complicated, but there was a pretty clear path. They knew they were going to have to waive Jake LeCision, which they did on Saturday. And they knew that they were going to have to trade Vitaly Kratsov, which is something that we've talked about them doing forever. But this sort of sped up that process. Previously, I had told you guys that there was a good chance it was going to happen before the trade deadline. But if Drury really didn't like the offers he was getting, the the last stitch effort would be to hold him until the draft and then hope that you can flip him this summer and get a little bit more than maybe what they were getting right now. Ultimately, he had to kind of settle for peanuts to get rid of Vitaly Kratsov. He gets Will Lockwood, who's kind of a hard-to-play-against journeyman AHL type of guy. He, from everything I can gather, sounds like a real long shot to to play for the Rangers, especially a legitimate playoff team like the Rangers anytime in the near future. So he was kind of a throw-in piece, and they get a seventh-round pick to send Kratsov to the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, as far as you want to talk about asset management, you want to talk about getting a return for a guy that was a former top-10 pick, that's an extremely lackluster return. But the entire league knew that Drury's back was up against the wall because by that point, they had made it clear that they weren't going to play LeCision. They weren't going to play Kratzoff. They were desperately trying to move those guys to clear the salary cap space they needed for Kane. And so that really even further diminished the potential return for Kratzoff. But eventually on Saturday, Drury rips the Band-Aid off and makes that deal to get rid of Kratzoff. So at that point... By getting rid of LeCision and trading Vitaly Kratzoff and reducing their roster to a 21-man roster, which is what they're going to need to basically keep for the entire rest of the season, or at least most of it, they decided, okay, those are the two pieces we're willing to sacrifice off the current roster, and we will roll the dice with a 21-man roster for the rest of the season, even knowing that leaves them incredibly vulnerable to injury. So they make those moves. They're down to 21. But what happens in that game on Saturday against the Washington Capitals? Of course, nothing went according to plan. Ryan Lindgren takes that hard hit from behind from TJ Oshie, knocks him into the boards. You could tell right away that he was in a lot of pain. And he went to the locker room. It looked like his left arm or his left shoulder was just hanging. So Lindgren comes off the ice. He's clearly injured. And then that set off another chain of events because going into Sunday's game when the Rangers came home from D.C. to play the L.A. Kings, they had ruled Lindgren out for the game because of that injury. And according to the CBA, I didn't even know this for sure because I knew that teams had played with 19 guys instead of the regular 20. So I thought the Rangers would have the option to do that. But apparently what I came to find out is that according to the CBA, you're not allowed to play shorthanded if you're cap compliant. So what that means is that 
if you have enough salary cap space to recall someone and fill out a full 20-man roster for the night, you are required by the NHL to do that. If you don't have the salary cap space for it, then you can get away with 19 players for the game. But in the Rangers' case, they had the salary cap space to do it, and therefore they had to recall Ryan Carpenter from Hartford. So once again, that throws their cap calculations off. When they had originally gotten rid of Lecision and Kratzoff, the idea was to roll with a 20-man roster and save that cap space until they were able to execute the Kane deal. But with Lindgren getting hurt, but not going on long-term injured reserve because it doesn't seem like they think the injury is that serious, they had to keep paying his salary, so his cap hit continues to count, and then they had to add another guy. So Carpenter coming up throws off those calculations again. Then the weirdness continues. We get word right before puck drop that the Rangers aren't planning to use either Carpenter or Schneider. It wasn't because not playing those guys would save them any cap space that night, but they wanted to be safe and make sure that neither of them got injured and therefore they would have the ability this week to then send both of them down to the minors to save cap space. Essentially what they did, because sending Carpenter back down right after the game alone would not have given them enough cap space to pull off the Kane deal by Wednesday, which is what they were honing in on. But Schneider, who has a salary that's about 175000 more than Carpenter's and is the only waiver-exempt player on the roster, he kind of by default became the sacrificial lamb. And they said, well, we can get to the cap space that we need by Wednesday if we send Schneider down. So Schneider, guy gets to lose a little bit of money for a couple days, unfortunately for him, but I'm sure they explained it to him. They send him down for a couple of days, and that put them back on pace to once again have the proper amount of cap space to pull off this deal. So they needed to get through Monday and Tuesday accruing cap space to finally get to the number that they needed not only to make the trade for Kane, but then get Schneider back on the roster, swap him out, send Carpenter down, and recall Schneider back up. That is what we just got word that they did. They had to wait until after 5 o'clock. Basically, the financial calendar for the NHL each day ends at 5 o'clock, so they had to get past 5 on Tuesday before they were able to swap out Schneider for Carpenter. That move is official now, and, and the final piece here, we know that they have enough cap space as of right now to make this Kane deal is them making that Kane deal official. But again, I've gotten it confirmed from multiple sources. I know several others have reported it at this point. The deal is happening. They went through all these different hurdles that we just discussed to make it happen, and now they are finally in position to execute that trade. As far as I know, they might even be on the trade call right now. So by the time you're hearing this podcast, Patrick Kane will officially be a New York Ranger. He is fully, from what I understand, expected to play in that Wednesday night game in Philadelphia against the Flyers. Again, they are going to be as tight on cap space moving forward as you can possibly be. We just saw all the hoops that they had to jump through. And for the foreseeable future, they're going to have to roll with a 21-man roster. So they're going to be very, very vulnerable to injury. 
they might have to play games shorthanded if they have multiple guys injured. They are not going to have the ability to rest guys if they clinch a playoff spot or if they think a guy could use a night off. They're not going to have that luxury. They are making some fairly significant sacrifices to pull off this Kane deal. But I think at the end of the day, when it came down to Drury being able to make this deal on his terms and Patrick Kane doing everything in his power to push his way here, they just felt like getting him on the cheap was something that they couldn't say no to. And I think that is what ultimately turned the tide in the last handful of days and made Patrick Kane a ranger against all odds. The odds, I thought, were much higher before the Tarasenko deal than after the Tarasenko deal. I thought the ship had sailed. I think a lot of people thought that way. And now all of these different factors that we just discussed have added up to the perfect storm where now both Tarasenko and Patrick Kane are members of the New York Rangers. And what you have is is a super team. You have some serious star power on this lineup. In total, the Rangers, to get Kane, essentially give up Kratzoff, a conditional second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a fourth-round pick. If that second turns into a first, I'm sure most of you will be happy because that will mean that the Rangers made the Eastern Conference final, although I had initially heard that the Rangers were maybe asking about the condition being if they made the Stanley Cup final, not the Eastern Conference final. So maybe Chicago pushed back on that and they came to a compromise there. Without a doubt, this deal makes winning the Stanley Cup final the goal because It's going to be very difficult for the Rangers to think about keeping Kane and Tarasenko beyond this season, given how tight they're going to be on salary cap space next year and how many young players they have that they're going to need to try to re-sign this summer, headlined by Keandre Miller, Alexi Lafreniere, and Philip Hedl. So it's win-now mode, absolutely. All of those chips are being pushed into the middle of the table. And I know that some people will look at that. I've already heard from a few of you and say, oh, that's a little more than I thought they were going to give up for Kane, given all the leverage that we felt like they had in the last handful of days. But I would challenge you to look at what some other teams have been giving up to acquire talent at this trade deadline. Look at what the Tampa Bay Lightning just sent to the Nashville Predators to get Tanner Janot who is, you know, a nice bottom six player, no doubt about it. But they gave up five draft picks to get this guy who I think only has five or six goals so far this season. So I'd say in totality what they gave up to get Tarasenko, Mikola, Tyler Mott, and Patrick Kane is pretty, pretty good considering the roster that they come out of this with. They didn't give up any vital prospects. They were able to hold on to their most valuable draft pick in the upcoming draft. And a lot of those second, third, fourth round picks, listen, you want to have as many of those as you can, but how many of those look at the track record end up turning into valuable NHL players? The odds are pretty low. I think that's why you see a lot of the smartest teams in the league sacrificing draft picks pretty handily. The Rangers have 
definitely under Drury's watch, prefer to trade draft picks over prospects. And they continued that trend at this deadline. So all in all, you have to be pretty happy if you're a Rangers fan with where they came out of this deadline with. You can nitpick that trade if you want, but my understanding is it's way less than what Chicago was initially asking for. And again, the star power in this lineup is insane. It's insane. You look at all-star forwards, they've got about five of them now. They've got a Norris Trophy winner in Adam Fox. They've got a Vesna Trophy winner in Igor Shosturkin. They've got recent first-round draft picks scattered all over this lineup, whether it's Miller or Heedle or Lafreniere or Kako or Schneider. The talent level is just oozing from this roster. And the bottom line is this. If they win, pretty much any price is worth it. If they flame out early, which given how much of a meat grinder it looks like the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be is not out of the question, then rightfully so, these moves will draw criticism. I wrote a story, went up on loha.com slash sports slash rangers on Monday that I would encourage you guys to read now, which breaks down exactly how Patrick Kane might fit in this lineup. And I also talked to some various people, scouts and others, about do you have concerns about the way that this lineup will function? Because everyone will remember when Chris Drury first took over this team two years ago, his big thing was we need to become a harder team to play against. So he focused on adding guys like Barclay Gaudreau and Ryan Reeves and Sammy Blay, guys that they felt like would balance out the skill in this lineup. Now they've very much moved away from that. And they've got a lot of guys that aren't necessarily gritty guys that don't necessarily play a whole lot of defense, but they have overloaded on offense and skill. And so what a lot of people I talked to said, listen, if Patrick Kane, a player of that caliber, is saying, I only want to play for your team, and he drives the price down the way that he did to help the Rangers acquire him, pretty much everybody I talked to was like, how can you say no to that? But I think there's a lot of curiosity to see how do these pieces fit. You've got a head coach in Gerard Gallant who likes to simplify. He likes guys to defend hard. He likes guys to go north-south. And now you've got a lot of east-west kind of guys on this roster. So we're really going to now put to the test, does a high-powered, highly-skilled lineup like this, can they outscore can they out-talent teams in the playoffs when you know the, the spaces get tighter and the ice gets harder to come by and things get more physically ramped up? Will this team be able to succeed against some of those battle-tested playoff teams? We saw the Colorado Avalanche do it last year. They very, very much won on skill. But I think there also is something to needing some level of balance. The Rangers still have it to a degree. You know, they've got a few defensemen that are guys that are hard to play against, for lack of a better term. I hate to keep using that. But they've got some defensemen who you feel like play with that edge. They've got a fourth line now with Jimmy VC, Tyler Mott, and Barclay Goudreau that's defensive-minded that you feel like you can put out there in certain matchup situations. I know Gerard Gallant touched on that a little bit today, that he's excited about the way that he might be able to use a fourth line that looks like that. 
But the driving force of this team is going to be a top nine that is lethal, that is dangerous, that is gifted, that can do outrageous things offensively to put up goals in a hurry. If there's a night where the offense isn't clicking, will this team still be able to find ways to win? You've got Igor Shosturkin, and you know when he's hot, he's always going to give you a chance. So you hope that that backbone is steady for the Rangers. He definitely had an encouraging performance in that win over the Kings on Sunday. But before that, he admittedly had come out and said that he's in a slump, and I think that was pretty obvious. He had like an 850 save percentage in his first however many games coming out of the All-Star break before Sunday. So you hope that he's going to get back on track. That's going to be vitally important for the Rangers. But as one source said to me, they are going to live and die by skill. When you go all in to bring in a Patrick Kane and bring in a Vladimir Tarasenko and you already have Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad and Hedl and Lafreniere and Kako and Kreider, these are guys that are offense drivers. These are guys that are highly touted, skilled players. And the Rangers are leaning in heavily on that. It's, it's a little surprising when you consider all the things that Drury said when he first took over this team, but it's damn sure going to be exciting. And it is damn sure an exciting time to be a New York Rangers fan. How will this new look, high-powered lineup function? How will they perform in the playoffs? It's going to be really, really interesting because, again, this is a win now. This is as win now as we've seen the Rangers act in quite some time. So we're going to hear a lot more about Patrick Kane's skill set and his legacy in Chicago when we talk to Mario in a few minutes. But I guess sort of the last thing I'll leave you with here as far as how he fits in New York and, and what I'm hearing about what the lineup will look like. I absolutely expect him to play with Artemi Panarin and Vincent Trocek coming out of the gate. That line, oh, by the way, has, in my opinion, and Gerard Glant said he agreed with me when I asked him today, been the Rangers' best for the last couple weeks. You look at some of their numbers, both the scoring output and some of the analytics, they have been huge play drivers for the Rangers in the last few weeks. Trocek has really turned it on. Gallant said today that his last seven or eight games have been his best with the Rangers, and I think we're all seeing that, and I think a lot of us would agree with that as well. It finally seems to be clicking with him and Panarin, and now you add Kane into that mix, and I know some people are going to say that Panarin and Kane feel very redundant because they're typically more pass-first guys. They're typically more east-to-west guys. How will they mesh together? And I know it's been a long time since they played together in Chicago, but don't forget this, that when they were together in Chicago, Panarin won the Calder and Kane won the Hart. So they absolutely clicked. I looked this up the other day. They had played over 2,000 minutes together in Chicago in their two seasons together, and they outscored opponents in that span. I believe it was 102 to 80. They have both raved about how much they loved playing together. I had a source tell me the other day Panarin is going to relish the opportunity to play with Kane again. So because you know both guys are going to want to play with each other, I absolutely think that Gerard Gallant will initially at least give them a chance. The question is going to be, how does Tarasenko work with Kreider and Zabanajad? That has not looked great so far. They did not have a good night 
on Sunday against the Kings. So maybe at a certain point you could see Tarasenko and Kane flipping spots, but my expectation is that Kane will get a chance to play with Panarin right out of the gate, and I also think he's going to get a chance to play on power play one. I think the new top power play unit is going to be Fox, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kane, and Kreider, and then you could fill in power play two with Miller and Tarasenko and Heedle and Lafreniere and Kako. That's probably where I would guess the Rangers are going to go with that. Oh, they also have Trocek, so somebody's going to have to get cut from that second power play unit, but that's absolutely a good problem to have for the Rangers. So with all that, I think we've dissected this from as many different angles as we can. Again, I didn't think it was going to happen. I will openly admit that, but I think all these different factors have just made for an incredibly hectic and interesting and quite frankly, fun week to cover. And now it's here. Kane is a ranger. Pinch yourself. Splash some cold water on your face, whatever you have to do. But it's happening. It has happened. They somehow pulled it off, not only getting him, but also getting Tarasenko. So to talk more about Kane, let's get to this interview with Mario. Really quick, I want to note to everybody, we're only going to do two segments on the show today because I am expecting Chris Drury to talk at some point this evening, I think. So I want to make sure that I'm not in the middle of recording a podcast when that happens. I'm also going to be on SNY later on tonight, and I'm also going to have to update my story. So I've got a lot more work to do. It's already after 6 o'clock. So a lot of stuff happening right now. So I'm going to say goodbye to you guys now. You're going to hear from Mario, and then at the end you're going to hear that track once again from Jason. And, And again, I know I didn't get a whole lot of time to talk about it this week, but... Very big thank you to Jason for submitting that track. You'll hear another new intro track next week. But for now, let's conclude this show with a whole lot more Patrick Kane talk, and Mario Tarabasi is going to help us do it. Now let's welcome into the show a guest who is going to help us get familiar with the newest member of the New York Rangers, and that would be Mario Tarabasi. He covers the Blackhawks for CHGO Sports. He's also the co-host of the CHGO Blackhawks podcast. He has obviously been following this stuff as closely as we have all along, but he's been doing it from the other end of the trade. So, Mario, how are you doing? Have you caught your breath yet? It's obviously been a crazy week or so for both the people in New York and guys like you in Chicago. Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, it's it's definitely been a, a crazy month, kind of of February. But for us in 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 Chicago and in the Blackhawks world, this has been going on almost a full year. So uh, for it to finally kind of come to this point, uh, I think there's there's still some sadness, but a little bit of a sigh of relief that there's actually some resolution to it. So it'll, it'll take a while for it to all sink in. So full disclaimer for everybody, we are recording this around two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. This is really the only time where both of us will be free. We're expecting to be kind of busy later tonight. Everything that we're hearing, everything that, that I know that I've reported so far is that the Rangers are fully expected to make this trade. They have to wait at least until after five o'clock this afternoon to pull it off for all the cap space reasons that we've discussed. But from Mario's side of things, I, I, I want to hear about you know where the Blackhawks stand in all this and how it got to this point where everybody is now expecting Kane to be traded. So 
as far as, you know, taking it back, you, you touched on the last year or so. Can you kind of talk us through the timeline of when did it become clear that a Kane trade was probably going to happen? And then when did it become clear that the Rangers were his preferred destination? Yeah, I mean, I think as as soon as the the words rebuild and tear down and and everything were were starting to be uh, uttered last season, once Kyle Davidson became, you know, the the full time GM, I think that's when the timeline of hey, what what are the futures of Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane going to look like? That's when those those chatters uh, started to 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 come up, and then over the summer, you know, with with the trade of Alex DeBrinket, the trade of Kirby Doc. It, you know, it really started to to get the gears in motion that, hey, like pretty, pretty much the writing on the walls were that the Blackhawks are going to be bad this season. Uh, and the the speculation started that how how much of, of that losing would Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane want to stick around for? Um, and, and both those guys, they had full no movement clauses that were given to uh, to them by a previous GM in Chicago. And um, they fully earned that right to have that. Uh, control over their over their career and where they wanted to go. Uh, so Kyle Davidson just put the ball in, in both of their courts to say, hey, if, if you guys want to be a part of this, by all means, like I'm I'm, I'm here for it. If you want to if you want to if you want out, you'll have to come to me and say, I want to be traded. And then they can go go on from there. And the air, uh, the air around them all summer, all season has been, hey, how does how does this, uh, you know, GM decision or coaching decision or or whatnot? How does it affect how you feel about the team and about your future? And they've answered those questions all year. And uh, as as time went on this season, it was when's the decision coming? When's the decision coming? And um, you know, we heard you know it was going to be over the All Star break, or it was going to be middle of February, and then it was going to be seven to ten days before the deadline. So, I think. Behind closed doors, I think Patrick Kane probably made this decision uh, probably right before he went on his final four game stretch with the Blackhawks, where he just turned it on and, and was vintage Patrick Kane. I think he probably made that decision privately and a weight was lifted off of his shoulders that he didn't really have to carry around. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I think probably at that time, this was after the, the the trade for the Rangers to get Tarasenko. And, you know, he publicly made it clear like, hey, like, the Rangers were a team I wanted to go to and I wasn't happy, you know, seeing them make a deal for, for Tarasenko and whatnot. And um, I think he probably made the decision and said, I want to go to the Rangers and make it happen. And I, I think he, then he probably felt a little bit lighter and went back into Patrick Kane, prove it mode. And that's the, that's the, uh, the, the type of Patrick Kane that I think the Rangers are hoping will continue through the rest of the season and into the postseason. Um, and you know, just, just for, for myself to see him succeed, I, I would love for that, that version of Patrick Kane, uh, to continue and, and, and be the guy that, uh, that the Rangers get, because it's, it's the league is more fun when he's playing that way. So the, this connection with the Rangers, everybody's antennas obviously went up when you touched on that, that he said he wasn't happy uh, about the Rangers trading for Tarasenko. Did, do, is your sense that in the immediate days after that, he expressed to Blackhawks management that if there was still a way to make it happen with the Rangers, that that was what he wanted? Well, I, I, I think, you know, even not behind closed doors or privately, you know, to, to say that in, in the locker room in, in front of the media to say, you know, I, I, that was a team I would have gone to. Um, I think that was, that was pretty clear uh, of a message and, and Patrick Kane, 
you know, in, in the latter half of his career and especially this season has been very calculated in what he, in what he expressed and what he said uh, to, to us in the media. And for that to come out, I think that was a pretty, uh, a pretty big message sent um, if it hadn't already been sent to, uh, to management that, Hey, you know, if I, it, it, that was the place I wanted to go. So now, now we got to figure things out. And, um, you know, the, the, the connections to the Rangers, that's, that's been for a long time. And I know fans, uh, on both sides early on, uh, we're, we're saying, well, you know, Panarin's there and he was best buddies with, uh, with him when he was in Chicago. And, you know, whenever he would play against Columbus or against New York or whatever in the pregame warmups, they're always messing with each other. So I think the, the connection was already kind of there. Um, it just it just kind of grew stronger as the season went on. And, and of course, the comments after the Tarasenko trade, I think, solidified it. What can you tell fans about the time that Kane and Panarin had together in Chicago? I know they played a lot. I looked it up the other day. In those two seasons, they logged over 2,000 minutes together at even strength. So I know they were on the same line quite a bit. Can you tell fans from your, you know, what you remember, why that clicked so well and, and, and how that worked with those two? Well, see, Patrick Kane is such a unique uh, NHL player. He has such a unique skill set that it's it's not easy to play with him. Um, you kind of always have to be on alert that the puck is going to get to you, even when you don't think it can get to you. Uh, he's a guy that can that can thread those kinds of passes and still has that ability. Uh, we've seen it all season that, you know, he's still making uh, more often than not vintage Patrick Kane passes. It's just this season he hasn't had the the teammates that he's had in the past to be on the other end of those passes uh, to, to to make them connect. He doesn't have a guy like Alex Dabrinkit. He doesn't have Artemi Panarin. Um, he doesn't have Jonathan Taze and Marion Hossa and Patrick Sharp of the Cup era to to be on the other end of those passes. So he still has that ability. And and Panarin had, I think, sees the game a similar way. Uh, and I think that connection very early on was was something that you know you you put both those guys. Uh, on on each other's wing, and you have two guys that see the game the same way, have a very similar skill set. Whereas, I think I think Panarin uh, probably has a per chance to shoot a little bit more than Patrick Kane does, but I mean he still has a very good shot. Um, that's 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 been that's been clear throughout his career. So I think it's just the the way that those guys see the game clicks very well. And and it was, you know, I. I look at the way that they played those two seasons and I, I look at the guy between them for most of that time was Artem and Isimov. I mean, I think he had the time of his life uh, being able to play between those guys and, and just kind of, you know, get to the front of the net and let them, let them do a lot of the work. And, you know, it, look, he, Panarin broke into the, broke into the NHL uh, with, with Patrick Kane on his, on his opposite wing and one rookie of the year and Patrick Kane with Panarin won MVP. So I, I think the, the connections there, um, if I don't think they're going to go away, I think if they play together, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they uh, how how that chemistry can be rekindled. And and I think there's there's still two guys that are, you know, as Patrick Kane gets a little bit older, he maybe slows it down a little bit more, but he still sees the game the same way. Speed was never really his game. It's what he can do with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. Um, that's that's his biggest skill set. And he still has that ability for sure. So as far as his ability, people will look at the production and listen, the last four games of Chicago, he exploded 10 points in those games. That makes his overall numbers this season look a lot better. But prior to that, he was looking at, I think, around 35 points through 50 games. That's way lower than his career pace has been. Obviously, there were concerns with the hip. And trust me, I know 
the Rangers had concerns about the hip. I think those concerns got alleviated by two things. Number one, the discounted price that it looks like they're going to pay to get him. You know, at first they were looking at first round picks and all that kind of stuff, and they didn't want to go there for him. But now getting him at a discounted rate makes that a lot more palatable to, to take a guy who might have a concern with his hip. And then B, you look at what he did in those last four games where you touched on, he was highly motivated and highly productive. I think that also made them feel a lot better about it. But where do you think Kane stands with a, the injury and then B the season that he's having and where he's at at this point in his career physically as a, as a productive player or a lesser productive player. Yeah. As, as far as the injury, I mean, I, I think he's able to manage it. Um, I think there there was a lot of concern with the way that he was playing this season, that it was maybe more serious than he had let on. Um, but I think if it seems like it's more of a pain management kind of thing than it is anything that's um, hindering him structurally. So uh, again, if, if he's if he's motivated, if he's in a playoff push, if he's in a, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which I mean, he he will be with the Rangers. Um, I think he'll be able to to kind of power through for that uh, to get up every day and, and get to the rink and power through for a team that is not trying to win. That's a little different. That's a little bit of a, of a different mindset. So I think having a motivated Patrick Kane, whatever he's dealing with with the injury, I think he can put in the back of his mind and, and, and play through it and not really uh, not really have it be a concern. Like I said before, if, if he's if he can put up games like he was putting up in the last four games consistently, I think the Rangers are going to get uh, a guy who is highly motivated and he's going to be playing with uh, a much more talented roster. And as, for as much as Patrick Kane is, is uh, still a high level NHL player, still at that one of those top tiers in the league, he needs other guys around him to kind of not have to shoulder the entire weight of the roster. So, you know, going from a, a, a going from a roster where his, his best teammate was Max Domi to going to a roster where Vladimir Tarasenko is there and Mika Zibanejad is there and Artemi Panarin is there. Like, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's going to fit in just fine. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if his, you know, per game pace is way better with New York than it was with Chicago this season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm curious when you think back on his time in Chicago, as far as what makes him a special player, I don't know if there's favorite moments. Obviously, he won three cups there, so I'm sure you could probably think back on plenty of <laughs> special moments for him along the way. But what jumps out to your mind, whether it's skill set wise, what makes him special, or maybe if it's a moment that if you describe to Rangers fans would kind of get them excited about what this guy is capable of in a clutch situation? Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, how much time you got? There's so, <laughs> so many, there's so many times where, you know, Patrick Kane just kind of came through and 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 really, you know, when when the lights shine brightest, I think is what is when he loves to to step up to the plate. Um, you know, you, you one of the biggest memories, I think, of, of that modern era cup run that the Blackhawks had was Marion Hosa's game five overtime goal against uh, the the National Predators in 2010. Th that doesn't happen without Patrick Kane scoring a shorthand, his only shorthanded goal ever. Um scoring a shorthanded goal to tie the game with just seconds left in regulation. Um, so he, you know, he's got, he's got that kind of, uh, you know, ability that when, when the team is down, uh, when you need something big to happen, he's a guy that can make it happen. Um, I, I think about the overtime winner against, uh, against LA in, in 2013 to send them to the cup final, you know, the, 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 the heartbreaker celebration. I, I think about, 
you know, the game against uh, Montreal a couple of years or um, Toronto a couple of years ago where him and Austin Matthews were going back and forth and getting, you know, working up the crowd. Um, he he loves those moments. So I, I think, you know, playing games in, in Madison Square Garden, playing playoff games, I, that's going to be a, a big uh, boost for Patrick Kane to kind of be on be in that spotlight. Um, and I think that's why he was so beloved by Chicago is that, you know, he was part of the the, the rebirth of the of the Blackhawks organization in, in the mid 2000s. And he lived up to every ounce of the hype that that was sur- that was surrounding him when he came into the league. Um, and, you know, he was he was showtime. He was, you know, flashy. He was, you know, in his younger years, for better or worse, he was very uh, flamboyant. Uh, at times and, and, you know, put his, put his name in the headlines for many different reasons, but, you know, there were, there was a lot of, of, of showmanship. There was a lot of, you know, being able to be on the big stage and resurrecting the Blackhawks in Chicago. And at one time being the toast of the town in a, in a city that is, you know, 24 seven can talk about the bears or the Cubs um, to, to be, you know, the, the, the biggest name in the city for, for a while there, um, that's 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 no small tax. So uh, he's he's going to forever be a Blackhawk. 88 will be retired as soon as he's uh, done playing professional hockey. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a, a statue or a bust of his face or something that's already been commissioned uh, for when his playing time is over. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 you're definitely still going to get a guy who's got got some some of his best hockey still left in the tank. And, you know, if he puts his name on the Stanley Cup one more time. Um, that's going to be a big boost for him. How do you think fans in Chicago are processing? Again, we don't know exactly what the return is, but we're expecting it's not going to be the hall that maybe they once hoped that it would be. Again, they're not getting a Lafreniere or a Capococco or a Filipino or anybody like that. So how do you think, are they okay with that? Because they're so thankful for what he gave them and they're happy to see him go to where he wants to go. Or is there some level of disappointment that you didn't get all the things that maybe you hoped you would get at one point once it started looking like a trade was going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, the, the Blackhawks fan response to this, as this has gone on for a long time. Um, I feel like there's a, there's segments where, you know, people are, are going to be like emotionally upset that Patrick Kane is no longer a Blackhawk. And, and that's, that's, I totally understand that. Um, there's all, the, there's also people that are going to be furious with Kyle Davidson uh, with when the return is not, why didn't you get four first round picks for Patrick Kane? He's Patrick freaking Kane. Like, well, somewhere along the lines, you you kind of have to see, you know, you kind of have to take those, those, those Blackhawks colored glasses off and, and say, look, like, what is he, what is he worth? And, you know, the, the situation that, that he kind of was put in or he put the Blackhawks in was a Claude Jerusalem situation where, you know, he only he only gave them one team to really work with. And they didn't have uh, Kyle Davidson didn't have the leverage to work with. So he kind of just has to get the best that he can at this point. Um, and and there wasn't there. There's also a, a portion of the fan base that's going to say good riddance um, because of the way that he kind of, you know, if, if you want to say he he led on the Blackhawks all season with, well, I'm going to make my decision later. I'm not thinking about it yet. Not thinking about it yet. But I think. Uh, you know, those people enjoyed the three cup runs, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, there's a section of the fan base that just loves to complain, uh, and, and they'll have their moment to complain about whatever the return is because it's not uh, as massive as you would think for Patrick Kane. But I think once the dust settles, 
um, people will be people will be under understandable about what the return is going to be uh, in the long run. And and look, it's all it's all part of this long term rebuilding plan that Kyle Davidson uh, has clearly laid out for the Blackhawks and, and he has stuck to. So, it, you know, if, if losing Patrick Kane hurts, at least you can find a little bit of solace in, you know what, this is this is the plan that we were told was was coming. So, you know, we we kind of knew that this was was going to be a, a, a large possibility. Last thing, just as far as his legacy, it, it sounds like based on what I'm hearing from you, that the three cups and and all the great hockey that he played in Chicago, that seems to outweigh whether it was, I know, back in, I think, 2009 with the cab driver incident. I know there was the rape accusations. I also know those charges got dropped and the DA was very dismissive of them at the time. But, you know, that stuff going on, the stuff with the video coach that came out with those sexual assault allegations yeah. later on. I mean, you know, he was around for for some controversial moments for sure. But it sounds like, you know, from what you're saying, his legacy in Chicago is pretty well cemented. Yeah, P- Patrick Kane, the hockey player, is 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 all, an all time icon in the city, and and forever will be. Patrick Kane, the person, um, there there's there's people that will forgive a lot. Uh, there's people that still haven't gotten over, um, you know his 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 past. I think we saw a a little bit of a of a perspective change and an attitude change in him after that summer of two thousand and fifteen. Um, so I you know it's 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 complicated. It's it's. You know, we with with the passing of, of Bobby Hall a couple of uh, weeks ago, you know, we kind of had this kind of reckoning as as a Blackhawks community of, you know, how do you honor someone's legacy when, you know, they're what they're most known for is being a tremendous hockey player. But, you know, them as a person, it's 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 not the greatest. Um, Patrick Kane, I, I, I think it's not as extreme as as Bobby Hall, but. I think there there is still a little bit of that uh, you know trying that that balancing act of trying to kind of figure out you know what is his legacy as as a person and and what is his legacy as a pro athlete. Um, I think as a pro athlete, like I said, he's he's one of the you can make an argument that he's on the Mount Rushmore of of modern Chicago sports history, if not all time Chicago sports history. Um, but him as a person, I mean, it's I, I think. He's 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 definitely tried to, I think, make good on a lot of things that uh, that that went wrong for him when he was when he was younger. Um, so I, I give him credit for that. I think as as time goes on, we'll kind of see what he does uh, as as his career kind of comes to a close. And, you know, if he's brought back as like a, a Blackhawks team ambassador, I'm sure people will be very happy about that. They've they've done that in the past with people like uh, Dennis Savard and and Chris Chelios and um Stan Makita when, when, when he was around. Um, so I, I think that there's, there's an avenue for that, you know, a little bit more of, uh, of, of, of off ice past player um, Blackhawks legacy that, that, that Patrick Kane can, can make good with. Great. Mario, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, especially on a day when we're all kind of just waiting for news to break. So th- thank you very much. Uh, definitely look for him. I will mention you on Twitter and all that and, and check out his podcast and hopefully we'll connect again somewhere down the line. Yeah, no problem, Vince. Happy to do it.